Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode three of season one of This Osteopathic Life. Forgive my voice today. I'm a little under the weather, but I think well enough to proceed with the recording of this podcast and keeping in line with my goal of a once-weekly recording and publication. I'll do my best to keep things clear and relatively cough-free throughout. On today's episode, we're going to delve deeper into osteopathic philosophy. As I consider the purpose of the podcast on the whole and these early episodes, I think it's important, with anything, to lay a solid foundation, to understand where we started, where we are presently, where we'd like to go, to give a reminder to my osteopathic colleagues of some of those tidbits of information, some of the cornerstones of our philosophy that sometimes get hidden or cast aside or sometimes just buried in the mountainous volume of information that is modern medicine. They're also to encourage upcoming osteopathic medical students and residents and encourage them to stay true to the principles and to continue to operate with them as a cornerstone of the foundation of their medical practice. It's also to provide greater understanding to the general public, to those who might be familiar with DOs or doctors of osteopathic medicine, who might not know anything about osteopathy, and hopefully create a greater sense of understanding and offer opportunity for further conversation and discussion of what osteopathy can mean personally, professionally, to individuals, to communities, and in all aspects of life. We talked a little bit in the last episode about osteopathic philosophy as we explored the timeline of the development of osteopathic medicine. And today we're going to dig a little deeper into those details. <clears throat> osteopathic philosophy is a foundation for the practice of osteopathic medicine. There have been many evolving definitions, and I think that's so important. You know, there are key standing principles, undeniable aspects that we hold true, but there's been some evolution over the years since osteopathy was founded and how we hone in on the specifics of the definition of osteopathic philosophy. We all generally agree that there is a collection of ideas that help us to organize science-based knowledge and relate that to all parts of a patient's life, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and allows us to truly develop a diverse and comprehensive approach to patient care. 
There are often questions, and there have been some different movements and media releases about, is osteopathy still relevant? And I would challenge, of course, and even more so in modern medicine. And all that we face today in chronic disease, in the expansive expenditure we face in healthcare as a country and as a world, in combating chronic disease and looking at the true capacity of the human body to be well and what's interrupting that. I think now more than ever, we need to draw on these principles to have a meaningful, comprehensive, and simple approach to patient care. And sometimes we think of simple and we think of dumb. You know, sometimes we'll use those words synonymously. And that's not the intention. Simple, again, boils it down to some very pure concepts that are so universally applicable that they can't be denied. And sometimes, you know, we try to do better than nature. And a lot of the times, we really can't. And again, my disclaimer, it's not to say that we don't need advances in medicine and there aren't places and times in need for intervention. But on the whole, I think we can all agree this is a pretty amazing grand design in the human body and anatomy and physiology that we can't necessarily one up, but we could serve to help facilitate it back to its fullest potential. And so let's get back on course here, thinking about osteopathic philosophy. It serves in medicine as a template for approaching problem solving and also for educating patients. You know, physician means teacher. Really, the job is to inform and to educate and create a greater and deeper awareness of understanding of what's happening in the body and what capacity the patient has for helping themselves to be well. Again, osteopathy and osteopathic medicine is very relevant as all specialties in medicine, again, as we learned, are open to osteopathic physicians, all these specialties must address increasingly complex medical problems. And as we advance in medicine, it's kind of the two sides of the coin. We gain this information and these resources, but it's a lot to manage and to consider and to filter through and to determine what the best options might be and help the patient navigate that. And so if we can, again, have this very clear set of guiding principles and can help us filter through the noise sometimes and come back to what's truly important and when we need to get a little creative in the application of the advances of medicine. We honor, again, that the body is made and meant to be well and recognize that there are sometimes interruptions to that. But if we can shed the light on that capacity in the body and facilitate its fullest potential, we encourage the patient back to health. It's important to note, as we discussed previously, that osteopathy began in opposition to what was perceived as and proven to be a failing medical model. The use of toxic medications and procedures that were actually detrimental to the patient And that is its role still today to challenge the norm and to ensure that we are offering 
more and better than what the standard of care might be. Osteopathic medicine is meant to promote health, to find health, to facilitate health, and can be used in conjunction with other medical modalities and treatments and interventions. It can certainly be used first line, but it should always be presented as a question of are we doing everything that we can to facilitate the best health in this person or in this family or in this community? It demands that we consider personal discovery and exploration and rigorous study of sciences, of anatomy, of physics, of chemistry, of biology, of physiology, of pathophysiology, of the nuances of modern medicine and the developments pharmacologically and surgically and interventionally and understand which are helpful, which are not, which can be, again, aligned with the treatments that we implement through osteopathic medicine but a constant student, a lifelong learner, and a constant questioner of what is available, is it helpful, and can osteopathic medicine serve to enhance the best care of the patient. What is critical, and I alluded to this previously, is that the physician does not cure disease. Again, if we are considering that the human body is fully capable of health, that it's a perfect structure, fully capable of optimal function at its best, at its normal, we aren't going to do better than that. What we can do is listen in the story and observe on exam with the patient and find if there have been interruptions to that capacity and help to restore the normal allowing the body then to return back to and to achieve health. There's certainly some questions on osteopathy. You can look on Quack Watch and find challenges to osteopathic medicine. And like anything, there are amazing high-quality DOs, and there might be some who implement questionable practice. But at its core and at its initial intention... It is a highly scientific field. Doctors still, before they were necessarily conducting formal studies in medicine, was always testing osteopathic principles and the use of osteopathic manipulation against the norm, against the usual utilized treatments of the day, and sometimes with them in conjunction with those treatments and observing for the results and making determinations based on those you know, relatively objective findings what was better for the patient, and adjusting course accordingly. Certainly, it's a musculoskeletal-based system, and that structural system is a reference point. You know, the musculoskeletal system takes up the majority of the mass of the body. It utilizes the majority of the energy that we have to put into our body. And so it's a fantastic place to begin to gather data and an access point to have any influence over the system. It's also generally the entry point for injury. You know, if we think about slips and falls and bumping our heads or getting knocked out, it's mechanically happening in the musculoskeletal system, but nothing is happening in isolation. <coughs> Excuse me. Oftentimes, Dr. Still is actually pictured holding an isolated femur, your thigh bone, and certainly, that has a role in study, 
but we can all agree that the femur doesn't exist in vivo or in life on its own. It's a living, breathing, fluid structure with tremendous amounts of attachments to other soft tissues and muscles and nerves and arterial flow. And considering what we can influence through palpation, through hands-on assessment and treatment of the musculoskeletal system, that concept expands beyond just neuromusculoskeletal medicine. I'll read you a quote from one of A.T. Still's books, Research and Practice. Osteopathy is based on the perfection of nature's work. When all parts of the human body are in line, we have health. When they are not, the effect is disease. When the parts are readjusted, disease gives place to health. The work of the osteopath is to adjust the body from the abnormal to the normal. Then the abnormal conditions give place to the normal, and health is the result. So health is always there. It can get interrupted. And the job of the osteopath is to listen for those interruptions and to find ways to reconnect those skips in the process. The foundations of osteopathic medicine are text, which is a very heavy book. So I've been delving back through it here. List some of the osteopathic philosophical commentary in a stratification through three main topics, health, disease, and patient care. Considering health, health is a natural state of harmony. And again, we can think of that in the body for the patient as an individual. We can think of it in a family unit. The health of the family is when those members of the family exist in a natural state of harmony. We can think about it in a community. A community is healthy when all parts are existing cohesively, in conjunction, cooperatively. The human body is a perfect machine created for health and activity. Again, it's always a challenge to me when we think we're going to do better than what already exists in the human form. Certainly, the stressors of life and exposures and traumas and postures and mechanics and repetitive activities interrupt that and could certainly use a hand and level of support in returning to that state of perfection. But the inherent capacity is there. And just like these tenets that get buried in the volume of information in medicine, that capacity for health can get buried in the volume of information and inundation in modern society. Community could take a lesson from the organization of the human body and see what is it that makes the human body work so well and try to replicate that in other ways in society. Is it the to and fro of the nervous system? Is it the intimate relationships between the brain and the cognitive function in the heart and the arterial supply? And we'll talk about this more as we look at global applications of osteopathic philosophy to things like governmental organization and transport and education and food. Because if we can try to take lessons from something that's been so successfully designed 
and robust and resilient, I think there's a lot of good we can do as a society utilizing, again, simple but amazing design and concept. A healthy state exists as long as there is normal flow of body fluids and nerve activity. And again, we think about the musculoskeletal system when we think of osteopathic medicine and osteopathic manipulative treatment and the cracking of bones that sometimes is the first consideration when we think of that. And that can be true, but again, making those adjustments to the structural system are intended to optimize the flow of fluids and the freedom of motion of the nervous system. Let's switch the lens now. So that was under the concept of health and look from a disease perspective. In an osteopathy, we believe that disease is an effect, an effect with an E, of underlying often multifactorial causes. As I sit here today speaking to you with a jazz voice, if any of you watched Friends, I won't sing Sticky Shoes, but that's how I feel today. Disease is an effect of underlying multifactorial causes. So when someone is sick, you know, we think what? We also think why and how and when? What interrupted that system, that state of health, to allow disease to set in? Because at its best, you know, the human body should be able to move toward health and shun and shed disease. And when it can't and when it doesn't, there are usually multiple causes. And I will 100% admit that my not being well today may be due to exposure. You know, it's wintertime. It is, you know, cough and cold and flu season. And so certainly I may have been exposed to some germs. But I will say there's been an increased amount of stress in my life. And that makes it harder for my body to overcome the capacity to get rid of those germs or to mount an immune response that effectively clears them from my system. So we need to think about that when we think of disease. And that helps us to know not just to treat that issue, but to treat the whole. Illness is often caused by mechanical impediments to normal flow of body fluids and nerve activity. So usually, again, one of the challenges to getting over illness or to getting over exposures that really the body should be able to overcome is something is compromised. And I think about, you know, a fall on an outstretched hand. And we often will think maybe of the wrist pain. We don't necessarily consider that that compresses your shoulder kind of into your clavicle, your collarbone, and that restricts the lymphatics or the drainage system that takes away the waste products of the body. It can also affect the upper lobe of the lung on that side. So maybe if two weeks later that person has an you know, upper respiratory illness or develops a pneumonia, we can look back to that fall on the wrist as a causative factor. And I will say that a week ago, I slipped on the stairs leaving my office and kind of did that. If I look back, I fell and onto my left side and perhaps that set the stage. And unfortunately, I'm not in a place where I have my osteopathic colleagues around me to treat those things out ahead of time, which is the goal of osteopathic treatment, to recognize when those insults come into the system 
and address them and return that structure back to normal so disease doesn't have a chance to set in. So again, not in any one of those things necessarily, but as we just said, often multifactorial causes of disease, exposure to germs, stress in life, a slip and fall, all make it so it's harder for me to overcome this illness. Next, we consider that environmental, social, mental, and behavioral factors contribute to the etiology of disease and illness. And we talked about that in these previous statements a bit, but it really harkens to that whole person model. And it's been fascinating for me in recent weeks as I've listened to some different podcasts, as I've begun to develop my own. And one in particular uh, was an interview of a DO who has become a functional medicine expert. And it was fascinating to me that there was a brief touch on why he chose osteopathic school. And when I say brief, it was really brief. And again, didn't speak to my experience of osteopathic school and touched somewhat on manipulation and those extra hours in lab that we spend. And then kind of skipped ahead and found him on a journey in residency seeking to really find the source and the root cause of illness. And he found that in functional medicine. And I'm grateful for that because it is important. And I'm all about finding the health in whatever way. And I do believe osteopathic medicine is a really great opportunity to find the health because that's the core of its foundation. But if we can find that in any avenue that truly cares for the patient and respects their capacity. I support that. But it was almost comical to me that he kind of missed the point. You know, you chose osteopathic school and then somehow, in my opinion, and again, this may have been a snippet, it may be taken out of context, but how I heard it was that he then later in his practice sought to find the root cause of disease and that's exactly what we're doing and looking at it on a very global scale for the patient in the context of their life. And it's now become more of a buzzword and you know, whole person care, patient-centered medical home. There are these concepts that are being spoken to into me and how I understand and have lived and practiced osteopathy. That's what it's been about since day one. And that's what we have the opportunity as a profession to provide to our patients and to our community and to our nation and to the world. And I hope we will continue to honor that more effectively. And that segues into the next lens of viewing osteopathic philosophy of patient care. And first is the thought that the human body provides all the chemicals necessary for the needs of its tissues and organs. And again, at onset with grand design, our body's capable of managing itself, you know, of keeping balance. You know, we manage a normal blood pressure in normal circumstances and blood sugar and flow and input and output. And we manage those things without a lot of influence. And certainly there are disease processes and genetic abnormalities and other issues that come into play that certainly require intervention. You know, if you no longer make Insulin, as a type 1 diabetic, you require exogenous or external or from the outside input of 
the chemical or the formulation of insulin to allow you to survive. So it's not discounting the role in certain circumstances, but at its purest, at its origins, the human body is capable of regulating itself. And removal of mechanical impediments allows optimal body fluid flow, nerve function, and the restoration of health. Again, environmental, cultural, social, mental, and behavioral factors need to be addressed as part of any management plan. And this is core. And this has been really interesting for me as I've been kind of on my own in practice. I was in a group practice Um, but didn't have necessarily ancillary staff or services on site when I was back in Muskegon, Michigan. And then I was in solo, solo practice in my first year in Oregon and then again back in a group, but not with any other services on site. So I didn't have, you know, counseling or physical therapy or, you know, access to movement coaching in my practice. It was just me. But when I would see the patient and hear their story and make my assessment and do the exam and apply treatment and then talk about what the plan was, my notes and my discussion with them always included a breakdown of things like big picture, which shout out to Dr. Ben Visker for giving me that concept of what all is going on and what's contributing to this. And then I would talk about the use of manipulation if that was appropriate and then I would talk about the structural component. Was there anything truly, you know, structurally underlying? Did they have a short leg or you know, very significant trauma or an old fracture or an injury that was interrupting their system on a more chronic scale? And then I would talk about activity. You know, what exercises could they use um, to help support the treatment that I had applied to help facilitate their health? We talk about behavioral, what psychosocial, emotional pieces were necessary for them and how did we create that awareness of how those stressors were manifesting in their body, be it in the neuromusculoskeletal, the nerve muscles and bones, or in their organs. A lot of times people come in with abdominal pain or complaints involving the gastrointestinal system and the triggers might have been elsewhere. They may also have been dietary. So we would talk a lot about how food related to health. We would talk about their social support system and who could they turn to? Who were their resources when things got challenging? Again, recognizing that a person can't heal if they're not well on a social, emotional, spiritual, mental level. And that was just the norm. That was has always been the norm of my treatment and approach and assessment for patients. And... I now have the luxury of access to a team so I can kind of delve out those recommendations and lean on the expertise of those various activity and social and behavioral and nutritional support folks. But I really appreciate that my training and my grounding in osteopathic philosophy made it so that was always the way and will always be the way that I approach patient care. And then finally, any management plan should realistically meet the needs of the individual patient. In this, you know, might be my favorite. Um, and I alluded to Dr. Fryman's concept in my initial podcast that we, you know, treat patients one at a time. So where studies can be useful, we still need to consider that in the moment with that patient, things are going to be unique and we need to address them as such.
So we'll look at a couple different newer definitions of osteopathic philosophy, and then we'll close this episode. This one I appreciate for its encouragement for myself and for my colleagues. Osteopathy is a scientific knowledge of anatomy and physiology in the hands of a person of intelligence and skill who can apply that knowledge to the use of a man when sick or wounded by strains, shocks, falls, or mechanical derangement or injury of any kind to the body. And that is from uh, Philosophy and Mechanical Principles by A.T. Still. He also alludes to the fact that it's a greater calling and it's a calling to us to improve upon the present systems of medicine, of surgery, of obstetrics, and the treatment of disease to find the health. And what I take away from that and what I encourage my colleagues to take away from that is that osteopathy has always been about the wondering and the searching and the finding out why and the seeking for improvement of the current system of application of medicine. So again, two distinct thoughts, not improvement on the physiological processes of the body, but on the improvement of the application of medicine in modern day. And again, that was one thing back in 1864 when Andrew Taylor still began his endeavors. And it's an entirely another thing here in 2019, but it's founded in those same principles. Our job is to reason, to develop opinions, utilizing facts, to compare, to make decisions, to continuously study and improve both our knowledge and on the delivery of care for our patients. So this is not a stagnant practice of medicine. It's not written down and we just do what it says and that's that. They're guiding principles to allow us to have a solid foundation from which to operate, to come back to when things get overwhelming and confusing and clouded and obstructed. But they're also inviting us to constantly wonder why. And Dr. Still noted that osteopathy is the law of mind, matter, and motion. And I love an alliteration, so I appreciate that on many levels. But life is motion, and it's life in motion. And osteopathy is medicine in motion, both in its practical implementation and in our quest. So in that constant evolution of how to best apply the principles in that challenge to keep seeking to not settle for what we're told, but to make informed decisions and to continue to improve our own knowledge of the operations of the human system, to have a reverence for it, and to task ourselves to always wonder, are we finding the health? So I hope that encourages you as an individual, as a student, as a resident, as a physician, to think about how osteopathy can apply in your own life, in your relationships in your family, and in your community, and how we can continue to expand those principles for the best health of all things. Thank you for joining me and tolerating the voice of the evening. 
This is Dr. Amelia Beakey with This Osteopathic Life.